Hello, welcome to today's episode of Juicing the Numbers. I am your host, Joshua Tracy. And I am Corbin Heller. And today we will be talking about the Pittsburgh Steelers. Um, so this is going to be a Corwin-heavy episode. So Corwin, why don't you uh, run us through it? Man, I just have been looking forward to doing a Steelers-centric episode since we started this thing. And this couldn't be getting done on a worse note. So go me. Go Steelers. Fucking end me. Um, yeah, so basically with everything that's been going on with the Steelers this uh, this season and basically through discussions Josh and I have had about starting a series on rebuilding teams. Um, not teams that are rebuilding, but how we would personally go about rebuilding certain teams um we were talking about doing the giants to start things off because they looked like a team that needed it the most um but it turns out the friendly lovable hometown favorite steelers turned out to be uh in dire need of discussion um so originally i was going to write a nice little article on this and post it somewhere uh and then i kind of realized I don't really have anywhere to do that because we have our website. It's more podcast focused and not, you know, NFL focused, not article based at all. Um, I know Rudd Pod Option uh, just put out their website. Um, I think it's called CFB Focus. Uh, yeah. Uh, but uh, this shout is not about college football. Yeah, shout out to them. I felt like. Uh, Unlike whoever I mentioned on the last episode about not giving free advertisements, I feel like they deserve it. So go check out their site. Um, but yeah, getting back to the point, I figured we would just go over some notes, some outlines of what I wanted to put in it, and uh, just uh, see how it goes. Little uh, little prototype episode for you. All right. So where would you like to start, Josh? We got uh, some Big Ben news. We got Mason Rudolph. We got some future stuff. I'll let uh, well, you pick. So if the if the idea behind this is that we need to rebuild the Steelers, I'm assuming that we're going to start with what has been the Steelers' weakest point over the last few years, which is the defense. Yes. The defense does kind of suck. Um, but man, it's we have just so many great key key players on the defense that you would look at and say the sum of the, the part the sum of the parts are fuck what's the saying what's the idiom i'm thinking of greater than the sum of the parts uh the whole is greater than the sum of the parts yeah okay so in this case the whole is very much worse than the sum of its parts and i don't know why completely i have some ideas that i'll get into um but it there's just so many players at each position that you look at it and it's like this should be a good team. This should be a good unit. They're not going to be elite by any means without um, a couple more elite level players. But at the same time, they shouldn't be this bad. They shouldn't be giving up 450 yards to the 49ers. They shouldn't be absolutely burnt at every angle by the Patriots. Um, there's just there's so much going on there that it's just not working. Um, but if you look at it, guys like Cam Hayward and Stefan Tuitt, cornerstones on that defensive line. TJ Watt is a budding superstar. 
uh, Devin Bush, genuine rookie of the year candidate, still still just uh, absolutely killing it. Has been playing just exceptionally well uh, this season. Guys like Joe Hayden, just consensus all pro for so long over so many years. Uh, underrated contributors like Mike Hilton, Stephen Nelson. Now we have a guy like Minka Fitzpatrick on this team, who is also a budding superstar. And it's just not working. Um, there was a really nice article on The Athletic about why Keith Butler, the Steelers' defensive coordinator, isn't able to get the most out of this defense. And he focused on the vast complexities of the defense itself. Uh, basically, there's so many different, uh, I'll say, formations that they use, whether it's the base defense. Uh, nickel, big nickel, dime, big dime, quarter, big quarter, and then you have uh, dollar defense, which is basically just 11 cornerbacks and defensive backs on the field. It's a weird thing. But basically the point of it all is to have a formation, have a grouping that will match anything an offense puts on the field against them. And in theory, that's really great. But in practice, in the middle of a game – teams you know running up to the line trying to get a quick snap off before the defense is set it's too complex uh there's a lot of communication that needs to happen to have everyone be on the same page and that has been one of the biggest issues for the Steelers dating back you know three or four years they're just not able to communicate well and they're not prepared uh there's coverage breakdowns at least four or five times a game which is ridiculous having inside linebackers covering, you know, slot receivers or outside receivers, whatever it may be. And it, it just doesn't work well. It doesn't mesh. There's just too many problems. Um, I mean, if you go on to my Twitter and look at the likes from, I don't know, any Sunday or there was a couple today, you'll just see clips of just the absolute boneheaded breakdowns. Um there was one today, Mark Barron, basically just jogging around the field, not covering anybody, just kind of doing his old thing without any real purpose. Um, and I think that's a big change that needs to happen. Either the Steelers need to buckle down and move on from Keith Butler, or basically just own up to the fact that his defense is far too complicated as is, and fix it. Simplify things. Uh, take some things out of the playbook. We don't need six or seven different coverages to run a game against one team. Um, it's just it's too much. Um, and then looking ahead, I guess you know what I'll save. I'll save the free agent and the draft stuff for the end. We'll do all that together. Um, it kind of works in. All right. Um, all right, Corwin. Let me throw some numbers at you for a second. <laughs> oh God. About your about your 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 uh, Pittsburgh Steelers. All right. Do I want to hear these numbers? Are these good numbers or bad numbers? Well, I'm. I, that's what I want to hear your opinion on. Okay. Um, it's certainly going to end on a sour note, but I still want to hear your opinion. Okay. Uh, so 2015, uh, Pittsburgh Steelers, their defense defensive rank out of 32 teams in the NFL, uh, for points they ranked 11th. And for yards, they ranked 21st. So kind of a mixed bag. That's what happens. So the Steelers, um, 
ran a zone defense for a long, long time. And one of the most basic principles of zone defense is as you get the field shorter and shorter, so as the other team gets towards the red zone, the zones tighten up a lot. There's a lot less uh, open space for teams to cut it out or to you know carve up the defense. So it tightens up coverages, and it's easier to buckle down as a defense in a zone coverage uh, compared to a man coverage. So that might explain the numbers there a little bit. Well, there, there, there's there's more. Oh god, this is all building. <laughs> so 2016, uh, in terms of points, Steelers ranked 10th, so an improvement, and in yards they ranked 12th, a big improvement up from 21. In 2017, the Steelers' defense in terms of points allowed ranked seventh, so still getting better, and for yards they ranked fifth, another. Big fucking jump. So now both of those aspects of their game are top 10 in all the NFL. 2018, just last season, in terms of points, they ranked 16th. So they took a pretty decent step back. But in yards, they ranked 6th. So they seemingly managed to hang on a little bit there. Right? So those, so far, so relatively so good. Like, like you know, it's a big step back in terms of points. But we're still looking at a pretty decent unit. Um. 2019, I know it's only been three games, but in terms of points, they are ranked 28th. And in terms of yards, they are ranked 29th. Yeah, it's really bad. Like, really, really bad. So what changed? Because ostensibly, uh, again, exactly outside of that changed. one season, that um, uh, last, last season for uh, the points category, outside of that one year, Steelers defense was actually trending in the right direction absolutely it's been incredible um how far they've fallen and i know exactly what it is uh december 4th 2017 we played the Bengals, um and that was the game brian chazier was paralyzed and mm -hmm. ever since then the defense has been lost um he was basically like a coach on the field for us so the communication issues that we've had he was kind of there to bring everybody together to communicate those things, and he did a, a tremendous job of doing that. Um, and just what he was able to do on the field with his, uh, his range, his speed, just the pure athleticism, and his leadership itself was unmatched on that defense. Um, and, I mean, you can see it right there. 2018-2019, uh, it's, it's a tale of two tapes. A tale of two cities, two defenses. I'm fucking killing the idioms today. I'm sorry. Uh, this is like a total non sequitur, but it's up on the mm -hmm. uh, the page, and I, I, I have to ask you because I'm curious. So last year, the Steelers' um, best player by approximate value, the uh, wins above replacement style stat that Pro Football Reference uses, um, that's kind of like their version of wins above replacement for baseball. Uh, last year's approximate value leader for the Steelers was Ben Roethlisberger. Mm. What year do you think Ben Roethlisberger led? Uh, sorry, what, what was the last year before? Uh, Jesus Christ! <laughs> when was the last time you think Big Ben led the led the team in approximate value? Um, man, twenty seventeen was a really good year for him. Uh, I guess I'd say then. 
No, the leader in 2017 was Cameron Hayward. Ooh, okay. When was it? 2009. Oh, that's not good. Well, I mean, granted, the players that are here are really good. So in 2016, it was Le'Veon Bell. In 2015, it was Antonio Brown. In 2014, it was Le'Veon Bell. In 2013, it was Antonio Brown. <laughs> in 2012, it was uh, Marquise Pouncey. In 2011, it was Troy Polamalu. And in 2010, it was James Harrison. So right, those are some pretty decent players. All right. Yeah, I was gonna say they're like really good <laughs> names ahead of him. But how fucking interesting is it that? And those, by the way, those are the only two seasons where Big Ben was the uh, main approximate value getter for the Steelers. And they were nearly 10 years apart. Ain't that some shit? That is weird. Hmm. Um, it sucks not having them. I guess we'll uh, non sec. Well, God, man, I am awful with the idioms today. I guess we'll just move right on to uh, Ben Roethlisberger then. Let's do it. Uh, so he had his surgery uh, yesterday. Uh, it was season ending, obviously. A lot of people were uh, basically just guessing around, asking or trying to figure out what exactly the surgery was going to be, what it entailed. Um, they did come out yesterday and announced that it was not a Tommy John surgery. Um, Josh, Mr. Baseball, could you explain in simplest terms, uh, well, maybe not simplest, but in layman's terms, what Tommy John surgery is? Uh, so basically, you have um, ligaments on your arm in in your in your elbow. Um, those can tear, right? But it's not like muscles where they'll like tear, but they can grow back or they can heal. If it tears, it tears. Like there's there's nothing that can be done to it after that happens. So it's very common to see in pitchers because pitchers put a lot of strain on their elbow from you know throwing balls really hard. Um, so in the '70s, a pitcher named Tommy John actually underwent an experimental surgery in which they took a ligament out of his uh, leg and put it in his elbow. And then just kind of like, for lack of um, good technical words, kind of just stapled it to his arm to function as the main ligament in place of the other two, um, or the other one that, that was there, and basically just kind of found him a new ligament from somewhere within his own body. So it's just, uh, it's like, it's like the ligament version of a skin graft. Yes, that's how I would think of it. Yeah. Um, so they were really weird with the wording of this, where they said it wasn't specifically a Tommy John surgery, which is basically taking the ligaments from, I think it's your ACL or, or not ACL, like a MCL or PCL. Yeah, it's one of the, one the, one of the new ones. Yeah. Yeah. Whichever two, uh, whichever one it is on the outside ligament, uh, and then using that to replace your UCL, which is in your elbow. So it could entail that it was a Tommy John surgery of sorts, where it just wasn't specifically what is re referred to as Tommy John surgery. Regardless, it's a very long timetable to return for pitchers, uh, well over a year. But Jake Delhomie, if you remember him, uh, played for the Panthers back in the day. He was a, a pretty decent quarterback. He underwent Tommy John surgery in 20, or not 20, uh, 2007. And then he was able to come back to the field in six months. And then the following season played 16 full games, which is 
you know, coming from baseball like we are this year, thinking about someone coming back in six months from a Tommy John surgery and then playing a full season directly following that without any serious ramp up is pretty spectacular. Yeah, it's um, nuts. All things considered. Even even position players don't don't wait that short period. Like Didi Gregorius still had to wait um mm-hmm. ten months, I think. Maybe it was yeah. eight. It was it was definitely longer than six, like four. Shohei Otani was like eight or nine months. And even then they're only hitting. He's only letting right. him hit. Like they're not allowing him to throw. They're not basically having him pitch at all. Regardless. Um Jake Delhomey came out when the injury occurred. Uh, came out on Twitter, I believe, with Chris Mortensen, and was like, "Hey, like the second I saw him holding his elbow like that, the way he was reacting, the way he was throwing to a tee, that's exactly what it looked like when I had the same, when I had this specific issue back in 2006, 2007, um, and that's what they were predicting that it was. That's kind of how this uh, started to get going, um, but it's not Tommy John, so." The good news is it could be not nearly as bad as a Tommy John surgery. The flip side of that is it could be much worse than a Tommy John surgery. Um, Big Ben has subsequently come out and said that he will be fully ready for the 2020 season. He's fully committed to the team for the 2020 season. Um, Until that time, he says he's ready to be the uh, mentor for Mason Rudolph. Uh, as he you know takes over for Ben, leads this team, really to see if we have him there as the heir apparent to Ben Roethlisberger, which is really nice to see. Last year when he was drafted, Big Ben came out and specifically said the opposite, that he wasn't going to be a mentor. Um, he was a starting quarterback. He was going to focus on that. He wasn't going to try and focus on developing a young player just because they drafted him. The Brett Favre treatment. Pretty much. Um, worked out great for Brett Favre and uh, Aaron Rodgers. Hopefully it works out the same for Mason Rudolph. Uh, doesn't look that way so far, but we'll go into that. Um, so basically, Big Ben, if he does come back, that's a $21 million cap hit next year. Um, at my notes, right below that, it says, look up further guarantees for money beyond 2020. So way to go, Corwin. Should have probably added a red mark or something there to catch my attention before I started this. Um, but regardless, Big Ben should be back for 2020. And I don't know what that's going to do. I don't know if it's going to magically fix our anemic offense. Um, I don't know if he's going to be able to come back fully and be the same Big Ben that he was. I mean, he's going to be 38 years old next year when he's coming back from this injury. The cards are stacked against him, um, and I'm not entirely sure how well it's going to pay off for everyone involved. Um, it's not like we can go out and grab a replacement QB in the draft or in free agency next year. Any free agents that we're able to sign is probably not going to be better than an even injured Big Ben, and second round is not exactly uh, the treasure trove of talent for quarterbacks. So there's just a lot of question marks there. Um, But we still have 14 and a half games. Well, fuck me. 13 and a half games. What the fuck am I... What did I write here? Josh, can you figure it out? 13 and a half? I'm assuming that you got a tie in there somewhere. Uh, 
he played a half of a football game when he got oh, injured. Oh, okay. The Steelers have 14 and a half games to figure out if Mason Rudolph is going to be the guy for them moving forward. I apologize. I'm not good with the words. Apparently not writing them either. So they have 14 and a half games. They've got 13 left this season. His first start was not great. Um, the big thing for me is if you look at his uh, passing chart, he had two completions that were more than two yards past the line of scrimmage, which is <laughs> scary as shit. Wow. Um, if you go to nextgenstats.nfl.com, uh, if you go to the charts tab, you could see exactly uh, where every ball was placed, where it was caught, every incompletion, touchdown, information that you would ever possibly need. For this, it is the ugliest thing ever. Um, Josh, if you actually could go and try and pull that up real quick, uh, that would be greatly appreciated. What was it's, it? What website was it? Uh, nextgenstats.nfl.com. And then there's a uh, there's a charts st- st- words charts tab that you can go to. All right, I'm working on it. Woohoo. Also, uh, just real quick, I pulled up spot track while you were talking because I, I was curious <coughs> about um, Steelers' commitments for uh, next season and the year after. Uh, so do you know what their total current cap allocation is for 2019? I do not. It's $176 million. Okay? Okay. Do you know what it is for, for those of you that don't know, can you um, give the total cap number just as a reference? Oh, actually, I'm not quite sure. I remember what it is. Off. Is it 182, something like that? Yeah, it's, it's, I thought it was like 183, but I can pull it up real quick. I have it right here. Because right, that's just enough. one of those things that I keep fucking... I be- We'll say, yeah, 182. 188. Oh, it's okay. That's actually a decent yeah, higher than I thought. All right. 2019. Um, 2018, it was 177. This year, it's 188. It goes up about 11 or so million every year. So that's that's for so for the Steelers for 2019 it's 176 million look at a little bit over with 57 players signed. Mm-hmm. 2020 they have 39 players signed of course like players contracts end. Uh, <laughs> they owe them more money. Next year with only 39 players who are set to be signed their total cap allocations as of right now is 196 million dollars. That's 20 million more. Oh yeah. Um, if you look at it, they do a lot of interesting things with how they structure the cap. Um, 7 million of it is apparently big Ben. Yeah. A lot of it is big Ben because right now he's on our injured reserve. So that gets, uh, you know, prorated, taken off the cap, whatever it may be. Um, next year, his cap hit is 33 and a half million. So oh, he's making oh, okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So he's making twenty one, I think it was twenty one million uh in actual cash. Uh, but his cap hit because it's prorated is thirty three and a half, which is just whew, that's a big cap hit. Um but besides that, it's a lot of much smaller contracts. The Steelers and Kevin Colbert are just magicians when it comes to cap space and creating it in the short term. Uh, it's basically always signing players to restructure deals 
to basically give them a little more cap room this year, next year, and then they just, it's a rolling cycle. So cap space for the Steelers is the absolute bottom of the barrel as far as concerns I have for 2020. Which is very nice. That's a it's a nice problem to not have to focus on. All right, because it has me scared. For the Steelers or for the Jets? For the Steelers, Jesus. Yeah, um, it's, it's something. I also have I'm trying to use next gen stats to pull this thing up, but this website's fucking bizarre. I, I think uh, I sent have a picture over um, Discord. Oh, okay. Then so I got it. It's ugly. So two passes past two yards past the line of scrimmage. That was an awful way to word that. I am sorry. Um, Both of those passes ended up being touchdowns. So that's a nice little silver lining. But at the same time, everything is behind the line of scrimmage. It is bad. Um, I did notice in the game, his drop back is incredibly deep, which is a very easy fix. That's something they'll work on in practice and whatnot. Um, I'm not entirely sure why it was like that in the first place, but basically he was dropping so far back. His um, drop-offs, not his drop-offs, his um, checkdowns just ended up having to be behind the line of scrimmage um, is what it looked like. It was just ugly all over. Uh, He was very inconsistent. Showed some really nice touch throws, but just wasn't consistent in any way to really string it all together, get in rhythm. The Steelers' offense has been anemic. Um, they're but facing Corwin. eight, nine man boxes and can't get anything going anywhere. What's but up? Corwin, how are we going to fix the Steelers? <laughs> oh, here we go. The draft is really everything. Um, the Steelers have been a little bit more towards uh, a little bit more aggressive towards free agents recently. Um, the past two three years, they've signed guys like Mark Barron, Stephen Nelson, Morgan Burnett, Vance McDonald, which is new for them. They don't usually go out and sign big name free agents. They don't usually sign anybody. Uh, they're usually a very draft focused team, um, but they've also been a lot more aggressive with using those draft picks. Um, as you could tell, trading up for Devin Bush in the draft this past year, trading next year's first for Minka Fitzpatrick, which we can go into in a little bit. So they're being a little bit more aggressive. That's helped them in certain places. It's Burnham and others. Regardless, they don't have a first-round pick next year. But thankfully, their biggest need right now, in my mind, is now wide receivers because they just don't have the top-end playmakers to really get things done in that offense. Um, Losing Brown was so big. Juju hasn't been able to step up and be that absolute number one guy the way we hoped he would. Uh, Dante Moncrief was a fucking bust. Um, James Washington and Deontay Johnson have been a mixed bag. So we're going to have to go after a wide receiver next year. Thankfully... According to, uh, I believe it was the Draft Network, uh, Trevor Sakema, I want to say, there are six wide receivers in the 2020 draft with first-round grades, which is fucking mind-blowing. There's so much depth there. 
if the Steelers do end up having a, a top 10 pick in next year's draft, being able to grab one at the top of the second round would be huge. Um, I mean, these guys are just, it's amazing how deep it is with guys like Jerry Judy, T. Higgins, uh, LaVishka Chenault, Henry Ruggs, who is just the fastest guy in the NFL as soon as he gets drafted. There's just so much talent. There's going to be a wide receiver one or a wide receiver two right there at the top of the second round. Um, so the Steelers are very fortunate to have that going for them. Um, I know a lot of people are upset that we don't have that first round pick because, oh no, we're not going to be able to draft a quarterback. At the end of the day, chances are the Steelers were not going to be going and taking a quarterback next year anyway, um, at least with Ben there. Um, and if he's able to come back and show that he's had anything in the tank for 2020, there's no way they would have gone out and got a, a quarterback very early, at least in my mind. So it would have been sent, spent on a wide receiver or a defensive back. Getting Minka Fitzpatrick, who was uh, the number 11 pick last year out of Alabama. You know what? Having him help us this year bond with the team, grow. I'm very happy with the trade. I think it works out great for the team. If we get burned by it, hindsight's 2020. You have to look at the process and not the results. I'm very happy there with the prospect or with the process. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, so obviously so- the acquisition of Minka Fitzpatrick helps a lot with the secondary, but um I don't know anything much about the dealers front line and linebacking situation, but Mm -hmm. what's the, uh, what's the hope for that? That's uh, edge rushers basically our number two need going into the free agency next year. Um, TJ Watt, budding superstar. Like I said, Bud Dupree and Anthony Ciccolo on the other side are, they just can't get it done. Um, Bud Dupree, a former first-round pick out of Kentucky, just never could piece it all together. Um, not great against the run, not consistent against the pass, just not enough there. That's a, a big need for the Steelers, being able to get someone a little bit more dynamic in there like we did with uh, inside linebackers with Devin Bush. We'll see where that goes. Um, I don't know how that's going to be answered in the draft next year, um, especially with a, a third-round pick probably being the earliest we go to take someone. Not a lot of outside linebackers are available out of free agency. That's just the nature of the game. They're just so valuable that teams usually don't let them go unless you're the Packers and can sign two of them out of nowhere like they did this year. So there's no easy answer for that. Um, it's a need. We're going to have to address it. What but do you, uh, what do you think the, the Steelers um, sack percentage was last year? Um, I actually would say it was pretty decent. I think they were leading the league at one point in sacks. Yeah, they finished third. They uh, 8.4%. Mm-hmm. What do you think it is this year? Uh, it's probably abysmal. Well, I can tell you it's definitely not last, um, <laughs> and I'll tell you whose it is, uh, who who is in a, in a moment because um, it's impressive. I'll I'll tell you that the Steelers are twenty first this year at five point five percent. 
that's just that's just any, not great. Any quick guesses as to who's last? Um, I, who would be last? Oh, uh, Broncos. Yeah. Do you they know how many sacks they have? Zero. Zero. It's fucking amazing. I was looking into that today. I could. I can't believe it. I like genuinely can't believe it. Um. Uh, yeah, just blowing my mind. Uh, that's fucking bananas. B a n a n a s. Uh, where do you think uh for scoring percent percentage of drives ending in an offensive score? Obviously, you want this to be a low number. Where do you think the Steelers ranked last year? Uh, for what metric? Scoring percent defense. Um, probably top fifteen. Top ten. They finished number eight. Twenty thirty three point seven percent of their opponents' offensive drives ended in a score. Where do you think that ranks this year? Oh, probably bottom ten for sure. Twenty third. Forty one point seven percent. You know who leads uh who leads the league in this right now? I don't. The New England Patriots. So really? Bills are in second. Why am I surprised? I know, right? The Bills are in second with sixteen point seven percent. Um, and the Patriots are in first with two point seven. Oof. Now granted, that's probably because they played the Dolphins and the Jets back to back weeks. Um, and the Steelers kind of shit the bed when they played them. But I'll you know, full credit to the Pats on that one. Uh, but the Jets and the Dolphins are not exactly offensive powerhouses this year, so <laughs> Probably helped out a little bit by those combined 13 points. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Um, all right. So I guess cornerback and safety are the last two positions we can talk about. I just want to say for edge, I know I just said that there was no real option right here, uh, right now. Dante Fowler's an unrestricted uh, free agent after this season uh, as a 3 4 outside linebacker. That could be a nice get. But moving on to cornerback, Steven Nelson has been nice. Mike Hilton has always been nice, but he's having a down year. But Joe Hayden's 31, 32. He's getting up there. Artie Burns has been a just a tremendous bust. Um, Cam Sutton and uh, Brian Allen and uh, what is it? Rookie Justin Lane haven't shown anything really. I mean, Justin Lane hasn't played, but I'm not holding that against him, or I will hold that against him. Fuck you. It's just not great. It's not terrible. Like they can manage and they can get by. There's just there's nothing there that inspires a ton of hope for the future at cornerback. Thankfully, unlike outside linebackers, there is a plethora of unrestricted cornerback for agents next year. Uh, guys like Chris Harris Jr., Jimmy Smith, Logan Ryan, Bradley Roby, Akib Talib. Ronald Darby, Jimmy Ward, Darquist Denard, Eli Apple. We could get Ross Cockrell back, but don't fucking do that to me. Kevin Johnson, former first-round pick. There's there's a lot going on uh, in free agency next year with cornerbacks. Granted, a lot of these guys are going to get signed before they hit free agency, but regardless, options are there to improve. We don't need to rely on the draft there. Uh, if KC and Tomlin do want to get uh, aggressive with it. There's there's guys there for them to grab. Um, and then safety is really the final team need that I had on here. I wrote this before the Minka Fitzpatrick trade. 
Mm-hmm. So things kind of settled themselves, uh, worked things out for themselves. Sean Davis, who was our starting f- safety, we don't have free and strong safety. It's just safety one, safety two kind of deal. Um, he's likely not going to get re-signed after this year. Um, Mink is probably going to be the guy there with Terrell Edmonds for the foreseeable future, even though Edmonds is just the worst I don't like him, in case you couldn't pick up on that. So safety, it's probably not going to be a focus for the Steelers in any capacity for any time period while these guys are on their current deals. So thankfully, one of these needs has already been crossed off. All right, so that's what I got for team needs. The only real thing I have left to cover is um, Mike Tomlin. Ooh, a hot yeah. button discussion topic. That's why I put it on here. A lot of people were talking a lot of shit about Mike Tomlin the past real season or two, just being unable to control the locker room with all the media attention that Antonio Brown and Le'Veon Bell brought. Just there was a lot of conflict. Excuse me. There was a lot going on in the media and the news. And people blamed Mike Tomlin for basically not being able to control the locker room, not being able to control his players, letting guys do whatever the fuck they wanted, roam free, say whatever they wanted, start fights with Ben, Ben being a quote-unquote owner and allowing that to happen, whatever it was. It was a lot of noise. And I just want to say, I stood by Tomlin. I've had my doubts about him because of these things, but since Antonio Brown has left the building and gone off a fucking deep end as we've talked about very much in depth over the past couple weeks i would just like to give a lot of credit to mike tomlin for keeping these guys not caged up but contained compared to what they were like once they got released into the wild so i just want to give him a nice nice little round of applause mike tomlin there was a lot of doubters I think you uh, did enough to prove them wrong just by keeping the team together and focused through all this. You can say they haven't been because they're 0-3, but fucking whatever. I don't, I don't know. I, 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 I still have mixed feelings, um, and they tend to be relatively negative because my experience uh, now as a um, Le'Veon Bell supporter, as he now plays <laughs> for, uh, he wears the jersey that I, I like to wear, um, seems like a pretty reasonable, like, low like down to earth dude i actually kind of like really his steelers tenure seemed a lot more tumultuous than his uh his present jets tenure does and i think part of that was because uh, the uh, the reason i got that perception was from the steelers offensive linemen who were just giving him a world of shit that made it to the media and that i think reflects really poorly on tomlin um Mm. i i can't blame big ben for having opinions because He's a quarterback, and they usually get talked to the most by the media. And if he says weird shit, like, I mean, what are you going to do about it as a coach? Um, What I do think is interesting is the Antonio Brown situation, because you almost wonder if as a head coach, you're like, oh, my God, Antonio is fucking killing me. Like, at what point do you stop covering for his ass? And at what point do you just let him be wild and weird so that you can get people on your back, like, like on your side and be like, 
man, Antonio Brown sucks. How does Tomlin control him? And then Tomlin can be like, exactly. Get him out of here. <laughs> um, you know, like, like expose some of the, some of the madness to, uh, to the public so they can see what the fuck you've been dealing with. So I'm kind of 50, 50 on it. Cause on the one hand, you know, kudos for handling Antonio Brown. But on the other hand, like, I don't think he handled the Le'Veon Bell situation with an ounce of grace. Um, um, yeah, I mean, it wasn't great. I wouldn't say I would necessarily put the blame on the different players squarely on Tomlin's shoulders. Um, he's always been a, a hands-off manager and coach uh, when it comes to... He's basically the opposite of Bill Belichick. Um it's a lot more of a open and free atmosphere that he likes to have let players be themselves, do what they got to do, you know, treat them like, Hey, you're professionals. You can do what you got to do. You've made it this far. You have that right. And it's worked and it hasn't worked. But at the same time, the offensive linemen were talking a lot of shit to Le'Veon Bell because Le'Veon Bell was coming out and talking a lot of shit about the team. Um, and he lied to them consistently about whether or not he was going to report back, when he was coming, just not showing up without a word. It wasn't just, you know, he said, she said type stuff. There was a lot of, there was a lot more going on. Um, and Lev definitely had a lot of issues with how things were going on, how things were run. And every player has that right to have that opinion. But when you start lying to teammates and giving them false pretenses about whether or not you're going to be a member of that team for the season that starts that week, that's when these bigger emotions come out and people start fighting on Twitter. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't put the blame solely on Tomlin's uh, shoulders there. I mean, I, I, I respect the players' feelings on the matter, but I think it's more of a... There's still a do's and don'ts when it comes to airing your grievances publicly if you're a player. And I think the like O-line being fucking pissed is justified, but yeah. I also don't think that gives them the right to air the Steelers' dirty laundry to the media, um, which is a pretty standard practice for every sport. Like you can be all pissed off and fighting with your with your uh, essentially coworkers, but your teammates. But usually the standard is like you keep that shit in the locker room and you don't put it out there on notice. And the Steelers players did, and Tomlin uh, maybe he disciplined them behind closed doors, but I mean he didn't seem to give a flying fuck. Um, uh, I, I can't remember off the top of my head if uh, there was stuff like that or not. So, stuff. yeah, like again, I, I get why the players would be mad, but at the same time, you can't just go around shit talking. Because what, what if Le'Veon came back like the next day and was like, yeah, my holdout's over. Why y'all been talking shit so much? You know, like, it's just, it's, it's a recipe for disaster. Yeah, it definitely was. Um, you know what? It yeah. was not handled perfect by any side, and that's just the way it is sometimes. See, this is why Mike Tomlin is such a fascinating figure to talk about, because I feel like we could do this. I, we could do an entire hour just oh, on Mike Tomlin. Sure. Oh, absolutely. And you know what? I'm kind of okay with that. I, I'm sure you would be. <laughs> 
So that's all I got for you. Uh, is there anything else you want to uh, add to this or discuss? Give me, give me just uh, like a final like rundown, bullet point style. How would you fix the Steelers? Oh man, um, how would I fix the Steelers? I would definitely take a, a wide receiver in round two next year. I would try and take the top cornerback or edge rusher in round three. And then just follow the draft um, wherever it takes you. Uh, I would hold off on drafting another quarterback until 2021 if you need to. Um, I mean, Trevor Lawrence is coming out then. There's a lot of other good young quarterbacks coming uh, through college football right now that'll that'll be coming out in 2021. If Ben's not great next year, you know what? Maybe it is time to buckle down trade up from the draft, get yourself a, a nice young quarterback and uh, start right where we were in 2005. Well, I guess it's different. We had a, never mind. Not where we started in 2005, but start the reloading process, not rebuilding, reloading. I got you. I got you. Then, uh, yeah, I think that's all, uh, all the questions I've got for you at this moment. I love that that's how we usually end our podcast every episode. It's like, yeah, all right. We got nothing else to say, so later. I don't know. I got, I got a little bit more since I figured, you know, why not fill out the, the, the episode a little bit? Sure. It's just not Steelers related anymore. Okay. What do you got? Well, the stats for Pro Football Reference Advanced Stats have updated, <laughs> so I figured let's go through them. Oh, God. All right. Let me pull it up. All right. So first up is advanced passing, and I, I want to start with bad throw percent again because I am still just so fascinated by this stat. Um, So it's an interesting top five, Uh, some familiar faces. Number one, still Cam Newton at 29.2. Brian Fitzpatrick at 23.1. Ben Roethlisberger at 19.4. Eli Manning at 19.1. And Jimmy Garoppolo at 15.5. But what makes the top five so interesting now is that four of those, the first four QBs aren't going to be playing anymore. Uh, Cam Newton got hurt, and he's going to be out for, I think I saw probably at least two weeks. Um, Ryan Fitzpatrick got benched, and unless Rosen gets hurt, will probably be done for the season. Um, ben Roethlisberger got hurt and is done for the season, and Eli Manning also got benched for Daniel Jones. So he, unless Daniel Jones gets hurt, he's also likely done for the season. Whereas Jimmy, so that leaves Jimmy Garoppolo as right now, uh, I guess you could say the quote unquote starter with the worst bad throw percent in baseball of in football at fifteen point five percent which I don't think is that bad. Um, but no, it's interesting. So if we, if we were to start the top five with Jimmy G instead, the, uh, the top five for worst, for highest bat throw percent would be Jimmy Garoppolo, Kyler Murray, Matthew Stafford, Joe Flacco, and Jared Goff, which I think is a much more interesting top five. Well, what about number six right there? Six and seven. Oh, Mahomes and Brady? Yeah, that makes it a little more interesting. <laughs> yeah, I actually I didn't even uh, read that far down. So yeah, that's pretty that's pretty wild. Um, that goes to show. I mean, like Mahomes and Brady are at both at thirteen point two. So Jimmy Garoppolo at fifteen five. It's not a crazy number. 
Yeah, that's what I was saying. I, I if 15% of your throws being off mark, especially as you mentioned last time I brought the stat up, where like some of those are going to be, you know, you got rushed, no one was open, you're going to throw the ball away. Um, yeah, that doesn't really seem that bad at all. Just over, in the grand scheme of things, just over 10% of your throws are, are out of range of a wide receiver. Like, that sounds totally fine. So I just noticed something um, that you might have wanted to go into a little bit after that what's up but yards after catch for passing if you look at look at patrick mahomes compared to the rest of this group yeah that's an insane number i have noticed this so most of these guys are around like two to five hundred pat mahomes is at nearly 800 yards of basically passing yards after the receiver makes the catch so when yeah. they catch the ball and start running, he is averaging 9.6 of those yards per completion. And this is a funky top five as well. So first off, Patrick Mahomes, like Corbin said, uh, just shy 800. That's 786 yards after completion. Uh, second place is Russell Wilson, a full 140 yards fewer than that. Just basically uh, like a shitty game, but it's still a full game uh, at 648. Um, so the top five here is Patrick Mahomes, Russell Wilson, Andy Dalton, Case Keenum, and Philip Rivers. So the reason I think that's such a fucking weird top five is that those first two quarterbacks are great. Those second two quarterbacks are garbage. <laughs> and then the fifth quarterback is, a, you know, like reliably a good quarterback. Yeah. Um, I mean, after that, it's, it's, you know, Philip Rivers, Matt Ryan, Jimmy G. It's, it's they're good quarterbacks. So I I don't quite know what to make of that. Uh, I think it's just one of those stats where it's at this point in the season, it's a little bit of random, and it, I think it has a lot to do with your the receivers you have. So Pat Mahomes has Demarcus Robinson, Sammy Watkins, Miko Hardman, all speedsters. Russell Wilson's top target is uh, speedsters Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf. Both of them are serious downhill threats. Andy Dalton has John Ross been tearing has John Ross tearing up the league with uh, his speed and has been going off in these long catches. Um, Philip Rivers, Keenan Allen, uh, and Matt Ryan's got um, Julio Jones. So I think it has a lot more to do with the receivers you have than the quarterbacks themselves. Yeah, I was going to say maybe it's also a scheme thing. Um, Very yeah, true. It could it could be a lot of things. We'll put it that way. Uh, it's tough to say whether it's something where like you know positive or negative, or to really make any other implications on it, since it's so disparate in the both quality of team and quality of quarterback that are like all just spread throughout. But it's interesting. Uh, the next thing I was going to bring up was QB hits. How many times a quarterback has been struck? Um, mm. And another uh, interesting looking looking list here. Yeah. So there are five quarterbacks in our top five. Um, but any, <laughs> uh, no, the top five quarterbacks all have the same number of hits. They've all been hit the same number of times. Nine through three games, which is a decent number, I suppose. 
Mm-hmm. Um, Case Keenum, Jameis Winston, Josh Allen, Aaron Rodgers, and Ryan Fitzpatrick. Which I think makes sense because all those O-lines are pretty fucking garbage. Uh, plus Aaron Rodgers who holds the ball for forever. It, very true. Yeah, I mean, I feel like this is one of those stats that you're going to need a lot more than three weeks for it to stabilize. Um, I mean, well, Ryan Fitzpatrick is on here and he's only started two games, so there's definitely a lot of variance here. Uh, yeah, Larry Tunsil must be having a bad season. <laughs> 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 he actually is, though. It's, it, he's not doing great. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Um, so I just, I, I want to point something out. Just, I was scrolling through this, just kind of peeking around without looking. Okay. How many hits do you think Lamar Jackson has? How many hits does Lamar Jackson take? I'm going to say two. Zero. Hasn't been hit. Really? Once. Yeah. Oh. I mean, we think of him as, you know, a very, very mobile Pretty weird quarterback. for a running back to not take any hits. Right. As a running back, he also <laughs> only has six scrambles throughout the entire season. Uh, that O-line's doing him good. Yeah. Uh, I mean, props to him. I'm sure we'll go into him deeper. We probably could do an entire episode on Lamar Jackson and just the turnaround he's already had. But good on him for keeping his eyes up, keeping them downfield, and not just relying on his mobility. Um, which was a big problem last year. I again, I just want to reiterate the step up he has taken as a quarterback is the biggest I've ever seen since I've started watching football. Going from one season to the next, it it's amazing. Yeah, it's uh, it's so impressive. And when it comes to player development stuff, I love eating my words. Uh, unless it's a player I really like, or for a player for a team I really just do not, cannot stand, which is really just the Patriots. Um, I love seeing players get better. It's just more fun. All right, what's next? Um, uh, nothing too much. I, 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 I want to look at uh, hurries real quick, and since we just talked about hits, and then I want to move on. Um, the top five for hurries is Joe Flacco, Kyler Murray, Mitch Trubisky, Jameis Winston, and Matt Ryan. So uh, one of these names is the same as hits, Jameis Winston. Um, Matt Ryan also is like tied for second, or I mean, I guess tied for sixth in hits with eight, which um, suggests that those two dudes <coughs> probably don't um, avoid um, the, the the rush very well. I'm, I'm going to I want to see how that looks after the end of the season, or maybe I'll look look at it going back to last season to see uh, if uh, you can pin some of these guys as as lacking awareness, so put it on the quarterback, or if you can put it on the offensive line, because I think it could possibly go either way. Uh, but uh, Joe Flacco's 22 hurries, by far the most, uh, only translated to five hits. Kyler Murray's 19 hurries translated to six Mitch Trubisky's uh, 18 hurries translated to six. And uh, I'm not quite sure what to make of it, but I want to find out more. Do you have anything to take away from it? Not really. I think it's a little too early. Yeah, it is. Um, Yeah, I don't know, man. I don't think I have anything on this one. That's fine. I just want to... 
I think oh, we said this a, a bunch of times, but they're all new, and I'm excited about all of them. I, I just don't know how to use them yet, but I'm happy they're there. Um, yeah, like I'm, I guarantee you we will do a full episode with all of these fun numbers towards the end of the season when things kind of stabilize, but we're going to need a little more creativity to come up with what it's going to be. All right, let's go over to uh, advanced rushing. Uh, Corwin, pick a stat. Broken tackles. Uh, yeah, I just sorted by this, and it's it's. I think it's the exact same names as it was last week. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that. Yeah, Le'Veon Bell actually has the exact same number because he didn't break a tackle this uh, past game. I think Christian McCaffrey jumped up. I don't remember him being so high. But then again, I could just be misremembering things. Yeah. Pick another also, one. Also, because I see Mark Ingram on this list, what a game he had. I mean, yeah, man. Like, goddamn, like that was... Let me see what his uh, his line was. 16 rushes for 103 yards, three touchdowns, four catches for 32. That's just, that's a good fucking game. All right. Um, let's see. First downs. That's so funny. Those are the first two things I sorted by. I did broken tackles and then I did first downs. It's fucking yeah. hilarious. All right. We got Marlon Mack leading the pack, and that rhymed and not on purpose. Uh, Saquon Barkley, Derek Henry, Josh Jacobs, Dalvin Cook, Carlos Hyde, and Sony Michelle. Yes, that was seven names, but uh, the last two groups were tied with 11 and 10 first downs, respectively. Marlon Mack ahead here at 16 first downs. Um, now, what I'm interested in is how many yards after contact these people have like per attempt i don't know i want to i want to see if there's some kind of translation between like how far they're carrying the ball maybe just regular old yards per attempt would probably be the best but honestly i want to say as useful as this is looking at the charts at next gen stats is so much more useful at seeing a uh, effectiveness of a runner especially for like first downs you know Whatever it may be, I just looking at raw numbers in a spreadsheet is one thing, but like actually being able to see the rushes, um, it's really nice. What if what, what now? What if I told you that Marlon Mack, um, of his uh, twenty six percent of all of his rushes led to first downs? Ooh, what would you think I about like that? that? That's pretty cool. Again, uh, still very early. Things have to, you know, stabilize a little bit. But as it stands, that's pretty great. Now, what if I told you that Saquon Barkley um, is just under 30%, 29.7% of all of his rushes were first downs? Completely un unsurprised. He is the absolute greatest running back of all time. Yeah, I think I I think that might be where I'm at in, for how to use this. I think that will be what's most interesting. <laughs> I love it. Wow, Derrick Henry sucks. Oh, he is nowhere close to being the suckiest of sucks. Don't you worry. Yeah, but I'm just. But tell I, me why. Uh, so, um, Marlon Mack has his 16 first downs <coughs> off of 61 attempts. And I'm like, all right, I don't know how much that is, but that's like, he leads the, the pack. So that's a bunch, 299 mm -hmm. yards. Like that seems like a lot. 
Uh, Saquon Barkley has 11 first downs on only 37 attempts, and that seems like really good because it's a lot fewer and 237 yards. And then Derrick Henry is out here, 11 first downs. He has 51 rushing attempts for 210 yards for a whopping 1.7 yards before contact and 2.4 yards after contact, two broken tackles. And uh, it just seems like he ain't doing nothing out here. Like he always seems to have one big run that boosts up his stats. Meanwhile, the rest of the game, he's kind of just doing nothing. Yeah, that's really he rides and dies by that longest rushing stat that we think is useless. So if you want to talk about a running back that really sucks, I'm going to bring you uh, on board to a little friend of mine down in Miami called Kenyon Drake. He has 22 rushing attempts. For 69 yards. Oof. He has 2.7 yards before contact and a wonderful 0.4 yards after contact per rush, which is truly abysmal. And he has yet to rush for a first down. So what's funny is I was scrolling down on the list to try to find him, and I came across Ryan Fitzpatrick first. <laughs> uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick, who has, um, let's see, how many attempts is that? Two attempts for 14 yards and two first downs. Yeah. Janu Smith is directly above Kenyon Drake with one first down, and he has a grand total of one rush. There are, wait, hold on. There are one, two, three, four, five, six. There are eight players with a single rush with more first down rushes than Kenyon Drake. Uh, Matthew Stafford and uh, Deshaun Watson each have three first downs. Kirk Cousins, Jacoby Brissett, Josh Allen all have four. Uh, Carson Wentz and Dak Prescott have five. Uh, Lamar Jackson has six. And, uh,. Yeah, I think that's all the quarterbacks I see up here, but that's a lot more than uh, than that actual running back, so that's pretty sad. <laughs> Let's go to receiving, because we spent a lot of time <laughs> shitting on Kenyon Drake. Um, Miami's just fucking fun. Yeah, that really is. We're going to have so much fun with them. I want to see drop percent. We started with that last time as well. Who the fuck are you, Trey Burton? Oh, you're a tight end. That's not good. Um, Trey Burton is dropping 14.3% of his passes. That seems pretty bad. Oh, but he only has one drop. Okay. All right. Sample size fucking this here. Yeah. Okay. Not a fan of that. Let's go to total drops. These are weird numbers because there's just, there's not a lot of players on here. It seems like. I thought Dante Moncrief had six drops, not four. Uh, um, oh, well. I don't know. Yeah, regardless. List. Yeah. I, I don't care about drops. This is this is no fun. Who broke tackles? Yeah. Let's do something meaningless. Um oh, it's Le'Veon Bell again. That's nice. Fifteen God. total broken tackles through five games, or for three games, sorry. That's pretty good. Yeah, that's pretty five cool. Five of those a game, not bad. Uh is there anything you want to sort by on this list? Uh not on this list. I actually want to go back to the regular uh, rushing list and I want to look at fumbles because I saw Chris Carson's name yep there it is Oof. so you don't have to go to this I'm just going to say that uh, Chris Carson already has lost three fumbles Ooh. which I thought was a lot 
until I realized Josh Allen and Kirk Cousins both have four. And what's crazy is Josh Allen also has, I think, three interceptions. Ooh. Yeah. Not so great. No, he's been having a really weird year for Buffalo because on the one hand, like he's running the ball really well and his passing is improving, but he's become a turnover machine. Josh Allen? Yeah. Yeah. Th- he has three touchdowns and he has three interceptions. And he has four fumbles. Jameis, 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 Jameis. Yeah, he kind of <laughs> seems like he, he's like he's like James. He's like a a, a running Jameis Winston. And he doesn't steal crab legs, so he's got that going for him. And he had nice. so long, so much as we know didn't sexually assault any Uber drivers. So, man, Jameis has got a lot going against him. Yeah, some might say he sucks. <laughs> Fuck James uh, fuck. All right, let's finish it off on advanced defense, which we didn't do much with last week, and we probably won't do much with this week. Um, pick one stat. I'll pick one stat, and we'll call it a day. Cool, cool, cool. You go first because I'm still looking. Damn it! <laughs> <laughs> I literally closed out and had to bring it back up, so I was didn't even have the page open in front of me. All right. Um, I want to know. Ooh, targeted. I want to know which which uh pass coverage person was targeted the most and that's not what they're called but either way it's Corey littleton who has been targeted 23 yeah, times that's a lot for a linebacker yeah that's a uh, whole lot for, for the, a linebacker place for the rams he's allowed a 69.6 completion percent a qb rating of 70 um 100 yards after the catch 59 air yards um, he also has three blitzes, one hurry, uh, one press, a bunch of stuff I don't care about. That's a lot of targets. Holy shit. I mean, through three well, games. Actually, that's that's over yeah. seven targets a game. That's a lot. He does have interception to his credit. Yeah. He was a pro bowler. I did not not know that. Well, What's interesting is is I I guess how much better the second person down this list is Levy Wallace, who has twenty two targets, so only one fewer than Corey Littleton, but his completion percentage is fifty nine point one, a full ten points lower, and he's allowed just about sixty fewer yards on those uh, receptions. So, but he's also oh so but he's allowed to t- uh, all right so hold on I'm going to ask you who's having the better season thus far because now this okay. is getting interesting. All right, so Corey Littleton. Yes. 23 targets, 16 completions for, we'll call it a 70% completion percent. <clears throat> 159 me. yards, no touchdowns, one interception, uh, QB rating uh, allowed of 70.7. Okay. Okay. Levi Wallace, uh, 22 targets allowed, a much lower completion percentage, uh, just under 60%, uh, fewer yards, 100, uh, one touchdown. Zero interceptions and eighty-five point four QB rating allowed. Uh, I would say it's Levi Wallace for sure. Interesting. I mean, granted, part of that comes down to the fact that it's two different positions. Um, the touchdown is big for the QB rating, uh, and so is the interception. But you know, ten percent. Drop in completion percentage, 60 less yards. Fewer yards um, per completion. Yeah. Um, at Just at the end of the day, it's 
it's Levi Wallace. Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, lend my answer to to your better knowledge of of these positional groups and their production. But it, it is that is actually kind of interesting, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Anyway, uh, 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 I'll read the top five just real quick in terms of targets. So it's uh, Corey Littleton, Levi Wallace, uh, Dale Roberts. Woo, he sucks. Um, Rashawn Melvin and Anthony Averett. All five of those have been targeted over 20 times so far this season. So if you heard their name, they might not be having a great year, especially Anthony Averett for Baltimore, who has allowed a QB rating of 110.8. Yeah, and if you're a normal person and don't know who any of those players are, it's because they're not very good at what they do, and they're being targeted a lot because of that. Corey Littleton uh, is is that's a outlier. That, that's an exception to the rule. Yeah, he, he's also the only linebacker until you while. hit number twenty four on this list. I haven't watched more than uh, like the red zone view of uh the rams this year just i've seen them on nfl red zone i really want to go back and watch those games again just so i could see how he's getting targeted so much it's got to be the defensive scheme that they're using right like some kind of they, package yeah, that has like, any coverage he must be in coverage basically every snap um yeah, like, maybe not every snap but a good chunk of his of playing them? time yeah oh yeah all right you pick your stat now missed tackles Ooh, I like that one. I didn't even realize that was a stat. Where is it? Yeah, all the way to the right. Oh, okay. You're doing raw or you're doing percent? I want to do raw just because percentage is going to bully cornerbacks that, uh, you know, only make like two or three tackle attempts a game, whatever it may be. And no Jets. All right, good. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so leading off the list, we have Rashawn Evans, first-round pick at Alabama uh, last year for Tennessee with seven missed tackles already, Um, which is a lot. You don't want seven missed tackles in three games. That's just so many. They'll get you benched. Um, He's got a 30% missed tackle rate, which is really not good uh you know what's great out of this top five is looking at their qb rating allowed and it's really high Ooh, qb rating allowed let me find that again uh it's rat rat okay thank you because that would make sense instead of putting a q in front of it Ooh, 118 118 (laughs) 92 those are not good numbers who's that christian kirksley for cleveland with a 155.8 that's bad. Yep. So I will say that uh, Denzel Ward is on this list with five missed tackles. He's rocking a 41.7% missed tackle rate. Holy shit. I didn't even see that as even, a percent. Wow. Even as a cornerback, that number is astronomically high. Basically, yeah. every other time he goes to make a tackle, he misses. Not even like a broken tackle or, you know, goes for the tackle, wraps up a leg, and another guy comes in and knocks him over. Like, he is just missing the guy. Um, We've got Bradley Chubb on here. He's a big name for Denver. He's got six of them at a 30% uh, rate. Um, Let's see. Who's the first Jet I see on here? Because It's Daryl Roberts way down with two. 
I looked. Yeah. Hey, you looked already? All right, let me find yeah. a, a Pittsburgh guy. Ah, shit. I just fucked my life up. Um, Pitt. Oh, Terrell. Oh, wait. Let's resort. Uh, Terrell Edmonds with two. Also, Devin Bush with two. No, we don't want to say that name. Terrell Edmonds, bad. Devin Bush, good. <laughs> Control the narrative, Josh. We are the media now. That's what we do. Yes, we are. <laughs> All right, man. Uh, any uh, closing thoughts on uh, defensive advanced stats? Uh, no, nope. I don't think so. Um, uh, yep, yep. We uh, we did it, Corwin. We did do it. We made it through. We survived. All right. Well, uh, if you want to hit us up via Twitter, you can do so at JuicingPod. If you want to check out our website, you can do so at JuiceTheNumbers.Wixsite.com slash website, or you can go to JuiceTheNumbers.com. Um, and if you want to hit us up via Gmail, you can do so at JuicingTheNumbers at Gmail.com. And until Thursday, y'all. Bye.